Well, our passage today is not about us. As difficult as that may be to hear in our self-centered world, it is not about us. Sure, we may play a small role as a periphery to the main character because it is rather through our eyes and our ears that we hear this passage, through our experience that we experience this passage, but still we are merely secondary characters in this story. As we saw in our reading, the main character is God. It is for his glory that he does this. Yes, Psalm 23 is a prayer and a praise to the God of heaven and earth, the God who spoke into nothing and created all things. This psalm is about God. And what can we learn about God in this psalm? Well, this God looks fondly upon all who are in his flock. This picture that we get today is a loving and caring God. It is a God who brings comfort and rest. It is a God who shows love and comfort that is far deeper than we have ever known from any other means in our life. It's the comfort a parent brings a child who doesn't understand the thunderstorm raging outside. It's the love one of us brings to our pets as they are shaking in fear. We want to comfort them. We want to care for them. We want to protect them from danger and sometimes protect them from themselves. So as we go into our passage today, feel comforted. Feel hope and above all, discover a loving God who is caring for his sheep. Our passage begins by the psalmist telling us the Lord is our shepherd. And if you are following with me, if you're reading along, you may see in your Bible there that the word Lord is all uppercase in verse 1. The great translators of the past have been wise enough to help us distinguish certain words from Hebrew to English. And when you see the word Lord in all capitalized, it means it's the name of God. Now, there are other passages where you'll find Lord that is lowercase or maybe just an uppercase L to start a sentence. That is the word Elohim in Hebrew. It's a generic word that means God or leader or master. And in one instance, in the prophets, it's actually used to reference husband, which says all kinds of things about what that prophet was thinking. But when you see the Lord in all uppercase, it's something differently, different entirely. It is the name of God. It is Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the God that gave us his name through Moses It is the one who has created all things and rules over over all things. It is also the covenant name of God. It's the God that split the Red Sea and had people walk across dry land to escape Egypt. It's the God who called out Abraham out of Ur. It is the God who put David upon the throne, who defeated all of the enemies of Israel in the promised land. It's the one who spoke to God, uh, spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, as it said, take your shoes off as you enter holy land. The Israelites who read Psalm 23, seeing this name of God, would have all these stories running through their mind. 
All these ideas popping up going, this Lord, this is the Lord, the one who conquers all, who created all. He is my shepherd. But for us Christians, well, we not only have the great stories of the Old Testament, we not only have to tie all that together, we also have something else. This is the God who also sent his only son, Jesus Christ. As we read in our New Testament reading in John 10, Jesus tells his disciples he is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. He protects his sheep. His sheep know his voice. He calls them by name. See, Psalm 23 and John 10 are directly connected. It's through the lens of Jesus Christ that we can see the fullness of Psalm 23. And so I'm not pulling Jesus out of a hat here. I'm not going to have a sermon that goes for 20 minutes and then right at the end, here's Jesus. Woo! No, Jesus is right here, right at the beginning. The name of God tells us, think of who it is, who has sent his son, who has created all this. Jesus is right here at the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd And Jesus says he is the good shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. Now that we've set the stage for who this shepherd is, let's find out what this shepherd does. Now shepherding back in the day is, uh, it's a bit of an old world job. It's meant for more agrarian societies, not necessarily fitting in with a bustling college town like Iowa City. So what exactly does a shepherd do for us? In ancient times, it was uh, a dangerous job. It was a bit of a boring job when it wasn't dangerous. You're following around sheep. You're making sure they're not doing anything too foolish. Oftentimes, though, in the danger, you would have to fight off animals. You would have to risk your life to save those sheep from walking off a cliff or falling into a raging river. But the psalmist doesn't go that direction first. The psalmist says in the very first Statement, I shall not want. See, a good shepherd, a shepherd that is the Lord, provides for his sheep. Our good shepherd provides for us. And so you have to ask that question if I shall not want, what exactly do I want? What is it that you want? What's your greatest desire right now? Is it to get back to work? Maybe it's to continue not working or fall back into the world where we don't have to work. Maybe it's to get a next meal. Maybe it's for the stock market to shoot back up and your retirement funds to be replenished finally. Is it to be healthy? Maybe it's just for things to go back to normal. Don't have to sit outside. I don't have to wait. I don't have to wonder about masks and face shields. Let me tell you this. There are preachers out there that will, they will tell you all of this and more can be yours. They'll tell you that all you need to do is believe or give or pray as though God is some kind of bank or some kind of genie waiting for you to wish for all of this. And he starts handing out the money and he starts handing out the healthy life. No, 
No. This kind of teaching is a great detriment to the church. It leads people into great depression. This kind of teaching is a, it's just to line the pockets of those ministers who wish to stand before you and say, everything can come to you, just as everything came to me. They think they're placed into this position of great influence, these ministers, because God wants them to be an example to be followed. I say they're placed into this position to show the wrath of God. As our good shepherd said, it will be better for these men if a millstone was tied around their neck and thrown into a sea than for what they're doing leading people astray. When the psalmist says, I shall not want, he's not saying he is going to get everything he so greatly desires. As we've seen in the life of David, David desired some things that aren't exactly worthwhile to desire. Looking out his window at Bathsheba, he desired a woman who was not his own. See, our desires are foolish. Our desires are self-centered. They're short-sighted. They're wrestled in with emotion and sin. So what exactly is our good shepherd going to provide for us? What is it that we need? Well, it's quite clear in the rest of the passage that exactly what we need. Again, you think of a parent as an example. A parent won't give their child ice cream every time they ask for it. Instead, they hold it back. Get special occasions of ice cream. Rather, eat your vegetables. Eat four more bites. Please, two more bites. Just one more before I throw you into your room so you can leave me alone for a bit. In the rest of our passage, our good shepherd says he will give us, in verse 3, life and guidance. will store us and will guide us down the path. In verse 4, it says safety. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you are with me. Verse 5, he gives us provision. He sets a table for us. In verse 6, he gives us a home. The home of the Lord is there. These gifts are all promised, all that you desire. Life, guidance, safety, provision, a home. Those are things that we may not know we want, but here the Lord provides. But I skipped over verse 2, the main focus of our sermon today. Verse 2 says, our good shepherd will give us rest. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still and safe waters. Yes. What we need more than anything right now, we need more than health and wealth and any of that. What we need is rest. We need to find rest in our God, in our good shepherd. What do I mean by rest? I'm not talking about resting in bed for days on end as though God is giving you some okay to lay down and just relax. Although there are times in which that is much needed and much supplied. No, when he says he leads us to green pastures to lie down in rest, he's talking about resting from this weary world, bringing us safety as though lighting us by still safe waters He's bringing us safety from the dangers in this life. See, our good shepherd leads us to green pastures so that we may eat and drink and rest 
and feel safe. Where his watchful eye is placed over us, he places us in green pastures so our feet may be steady. So we will not trip over rocks and crags. So we may not find some place that is unsafe. He places us next to still safe water so that we may drink and not be concerned with being swept up by the rush of the river. Or find some fearful place to hide in a cave where some animal may grab us. This is a rest that is peaceful. There's a rest that brings away all concerns. There's a rest of contentment. See, our, rep, our shepherd, our good shepherd is providing for us a place of true rest. Now, perhaps the metaphor is going on for a bit too long and we need to speak to this idea directly. Life away from the eye of a good shepherd what does that look like? That's well, a dark and dismal place. I'm sure I don't need to remind all of you of the horrors outside in this world right now. But I will mention it briefly to further make my point. You open these doors, you look out, you walk out. What do you find? Poverty, sickness, confusion, murder, murder of the innocent, explosions, hunger, we only need to turn on the television, read on social media, or look at a newspaper, and we will see it. It's right in front of our eyes every single day. And with each day, our exhaustion grows. Our concerns rise. I don't know if you've noticed, but slowly, in between the articles about the sickness growing, about the death rate rising, people are starting to notice Small articles beginning to appear in papers. Depression is beginning to rise. Suicide rates are going up. The mental stability of the world is heading toward a cliff. We lay in bed all day thinking, it is better to just shut our eyes from this darkness. We can't deal with it, so we turn off. We turn towards sleep. It's far better to be sleeping and closing our eyes and facing the difficulty of this world. And we sleep as long as we can, but then strength gets us up. Fine. We think, okay, I can get up. I can do this. I can get out of this bed. I can get up. I can move forward. Let's face this difficulty. But then we start looking at it and we begin to weep. And we weep for hours on end, shedding tears for ourselves, shedding tears for those who are suffering. Depression deepens. We can't stop. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying weeping is bad just as I don't think sleeping is bad. As we've seen, our Lord shows weeping in a truly righteous way as he stands outside the grave of Lazarus. But when we only weep, when we only sit in misery day and night, when we begin to wallow and think this is the only way to deal with such hardship, well, that, that leads us into a dark place. And so we muster our strength. We finally go, okay, no, I'm going to get over this. I can do it. And we get over our sleeping, and we get over our weeping, and we turn to another great comforter, food. 
We eat, we snack, we nibble, we fill up this hole inside of us because we feel so miserable. When looking at the world, it's our only joy is found in eating. Food becomes our comfort. It becomes our only comfort. So we eat and we eat and we eat until we hate ourselves. We hate ourselves because of what we become. We hate how we look. We hate how the world has made us become like this. And we become to starve ourselves because that's the only way we can control it. If I can only control one thing, that will bring me comfort. That's what they want. And so we starve ourselves. And we grow weak. And we turn back to laying in bed all day. Hoping to avoid all the difficulties in front of us. It starts all over again. Round and round we go. Sleeping, weeping, eating, starving. Sleeping, weeping, eating, starving. It's no wonder our mental health is starting to plummet. The world doesn't know what to do. That, that's the world outside of the eye of the good shepherd. Away from the rest he offers, that's the danger we have within ourselves. The danger of taking a step in the wrong direction, sliding down into a ravine or venturing out too far into a swiftly moving river. But our good shepherd has an answer for each and every one of those steps. The rest that he promises, the sleep that we have is merely just a picture of the great Sabbath rest that is promised to us in Jesus Christ. The weeping that we have is, a, is one in which we wallow as opposed to the weeping that's found in Jesus Christ outside of the grave of Lazarus. One that sees hardship and wishes for nothing better than goodness to reign out that sees death and knows life is coming, eating. We eat to fill a hole and yet we find out that it's enslaving us. But food, food is a great gift given to us by Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the, the great marriage supper in heaven. When we finally are able to approach the table and sit next to our Savior and eat and be merry and starving, Well, our Lord fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. He showed that there is a time and a place for it. But that's what the world is outside of the shepherd. They twist it. They turn it into something that's in themselves. And anger seems to build up. Depression seems to push them down. Find rest. Find rest in that good shepherd. He will turn all those things into joyful, into a joyful time. He will lead you to still, safe waters. He will plant you next to green pastures. Well, you may eat your fill. But there are other dangers. So we've talked about the dangers inside, the ones that can push us down, the depression that can leave us in bed all day. There are are a second group of dangers, much that was talked about as you're standing next to those still safe waters. Those that can bring harm to us. There are wolves prowling around, waiting to drag us away from our good shepherd. Devour us. The temptations of the world are ready to capture us and lead us away from that good shepherd. 
Of course, there are many differing beliefs that can attract our wandering eyes, differing religious beliefs and philosophical systems that seem to make more sense or connect more with our life experience. There are obvious wolves. Those are obvious wolves to me, even a dumb sheep. But what about the dangers of jealousy? Dangers of covetousness. You notice someone has a better job than you. They're able to work at home comfortably. They don't have to go out. They don't have to don the whole garb and go out. They can still provide for their family. They have a job. And speaking of home and family, you notice someone has a better house than you. More room, better yard. They have a wonderful spouse. They have children that seem so happy. What would it be like to be them? And so you stop relying on the good shepherd. You'd stop relying on him to guide you into these still safe waters or to the green grass before us. And you start relying on the mighty God pragmatism. I need a better house, so I work longer hours. I become less interested in my faith. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to see my family. I'm just trying to get the money. I notice all the people who are pairing off and having kids. Well, they all wear these kind of clothes. They all do these kind of things in relationships. They frequent these kind of establishments, so that must be how it works. That's how you get a spouse. That's how you have kids. You got to do it this way. Little give here, little give there, and suddenly the wolf has you. You're stepping off the path. You're dragged away from the flock. You lose your safety. You lose your place of rest. And anxiety has taken hold of you. The comfort of the good shepherd is long gone. No longer do you find a green pasture around you with still safe waters. Instead, you finally raise your head and you look around. You're in a den of wolves or deep, dark valley heading toward a great waterfall as you realize this water is carrying you far further than you realized. Destruction is coming. What are we to do? What can we do? We're just dumb sheep. We know nothing. The prophet Isaiah says all of us are like sheep. Each of us will go our own way. What can we do? Where is the branch to grab a hold of as we're swimming down this great raging river? Where's the sure footing in this deep ravine? Where is that green grass that we so greatly desire? Who can rescue us from this den of wolves? I'll tell you where he is. Where is that one who will rescue us? Where will tell us where the sure footing is? It's right here in the word of God. It's as we said from the beginning, it is Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. He knows exactly what to do. He knows these trails that we have wandered. He knows the dark corners of the world. He knows where we can go for safety. He knows them because he's walked these paths before. He's seen these dangers and he has conquered every single one of them. He not only knows the past, but he's wandered down them. And he will come and get us from these great dangers. Our good shepherd will not only risk his life for us, he has already laid down his life for us. When Jesus Christ was crucified, died, buried, and resurrected, he gave us an opportunity for true rest. 
at his resurrection, he gave us the green pastures to lie down in. In his victory cry, it is finished, he calmed the raging river into safe, still waters that we drink from. He has shown us the beautiful and wonderful pastures that we can gather in. His voice calls to us and he gathers us under his protection. When you feel overwhelmed by the darkness of this world, cast your concerns onto the good shepherd. When all you want to do is sleep and shut the world away, know that Jesus Christ has promised you to give promise to give you true good rest. Not the rest that makes you feel more tired after you wake up when you say, I'm going to have a nap this morning and suddenly three hours have passed and you're like, oh my gosh, what day is it? No, a true rest. Sleeping like a baby rest. Kind of rest that makes you feel refreshed and ready for what comes in the day. Don't spend your time relying on sleep aids as though some false gospel will give you what your good shepherd can give you. The dangers of this world are very real and we can easily fall into them. The only way to battle these dangers is found in the power of God for salvation. Read scripture, pray, come together on Zoom with friends and pray. The power of God is found in Jesus Christ And he will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. Because that is who God is. That is who our good shepherd is. His love is poured out for us on the cross. His mercies are new every morning. He will make us, make us lie down in pastures to give us rest. And he will lead us by the still waters to be refreshed. Our God is a good God who will give us rest when we are reminded daily, weekly, monthly about the goodness of the gospel and the power of God. The dangers and darkness of this world will be kept behind a fence away from our sweet pasture. Let's pray.